This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people. And that's where Orbition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, providing you with insights into the current market and your competition, benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting orbitiongroup.com. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Danny Gardner, who is the social intelligence lead for Halion. So, Danny, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Kyle. It's great to be here. It's great to meet you. Uh, I know it's, it's it's always fun to get to sit down and kind of talk about, uh, you know, the, the profession that I'm in and, and kind of the, the direction of the space. And I think there's a lot of buzz around, you know, the intersection of social media and analytics and big data today. 100%. Now, I'm really looking forward to it, I guess, as a, a big social media user, for, you know, personally and for the business, we're very big on content. Um, this is a, an area that obviously fascinates me of bringing the, the two worlds together. So I'm looking forward to it. So where we always start, Danny, is by asking our guests to give themselves a brief introduction into their kind of background and, I guess, journey up until this point in time, um, if you'd be so kind. Yeah, sure. So as I said, I'm the social intelligence lead here at, here at Halion. Uh, we're a relatively new company, born out of, the, born out of GSK Consumer Healthcare. Um, as a as a formal spinoff, and a, now we're a standalone pure play consumer healthcare company and, and the, the number one consumer healthcare business in the world uh, across 100 plus markets. Um, and so that's where I currently stand today. But you know, kind of give you the uh, you know, I guess the the career recap to date. Um, you know, thankfully still kind of early on in my career, but I've had the I've had the privilege of getting to work on some some pretty incredible projects and tackle a lot of different challenges and professional development opportunities and. Uh, you know, it all kind of started, I think, in in university, but when I was in college, where I was doing nothing like what I'm doing today. Uh, I, I studied I studied economics. I went to the University of Maryland uh, here in the states, uh, which I missed dearly. Uh, there was a lot less responsibility, I think, those days, and now there's nothing but responsibility, both at work and at home. Uh, but uh, you know, that was my first foray, I think, into into you know quantitative analysis. You know, I think that that that's kind of the bedrock of economics programs today is well, actually, it's it's kind of coupled between you know theory and methods, in addition to being able to do math. 
Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't quite get past Calc 3. So that, that's about the cutoff <laughs> for, uh, for me. But, you know, I think initially I wanted to study accounting. And it was it wasn't, you know, I think very early on, I realized, you know, like as, as interesting as this, I thought it was and as good as I was at it. You know, it's just it's not it's not you know inspiring me and you know I think I, I saw that so early on and that was kind of where I had an inflection point in college where I was like oh well I took an economics class and that's kind of interesting and you know from there you know I went on to take a bunch of different internship positions um, you know I, I worked with the the New Jersey State Treasury Department under the the, the state's chief economist and you know was doing a lot of um, kind of the budget forecasting work and you know a lot of number crunching. And you know, learning more about like tax policy, and it was again completely different than what I'm doing now. Uh, but that was my first foray into like data and programming and like data analysis. It was really one of my first jobs. And then I went on to the to the U.S. FDA, which is the big you know healthcare uh, you know uh, regulatory body here in here in the U.S. And you know, I worked on under their chief economist um, in, at the White Oak office, not too far from the college campus. And you know, that was another kind of foray into, into healthcare. I mean, it was kind of a, a different uh, degree of microeconomics, and it was number crunching and coding, and there's all these different things. And it was my first introduction to, to pharmaceuticals and tobacco and, and cosmetics. There was there's kind of a few different things that 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 role and that team oversaw. And then you know, again, building up these kind of analytical chops. And so I'm starting to think, you know, I'm fascinated by the idea of like automation and problem solving and like these things like I'm not taught in class. And then I went on to the, the U.S. Treasury Department, which is probably the, one of the coolest jobs I've, I've ever had. And one of the most challenging, uh, which, uh, you know, is the Treasury building right next to the White House, which is a, a pretty incredible experience. It was a long uh, kind of commute every morning to get up at 6 a.m., hop on the metro and, you know, and, and get your day started. But it was it was so memorable and it was so challenging. And I think that was and at that point, you know, I was looking for full time work. Uh, separately, but at that point, I was really hitting my stride and, and teaching myself how to how to code and solve real problems and create models. And you know, I, I remember thinking, like, this is an awesome kind of skill set I've developed that I didn't plan to. This is, you know, you're discovering your interests, and then and I did a full 360 into what is, you know, t- today kind of referred to as social intelligence. But I, I came out of college and you know, I started with this company called W2O, which is a you know marketing agency. But I started on a team that did what was called social listening. I was like, oh, that's kind of, I never heard of that. You know, it's, it's interesting. They have pharma clients, you know, it's, it's local, right? So there were a lot of different things that I kind of saw. Uh, and I was getting my MBA at the time too. So I, I needed a job to, to kind of pay for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was kind of the, the accidental, you know, kind of fall into the, you know, the, the, I guess, career love of my life. Cause, cause now looking back now, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have traded, I wouldn't trade this for the world is that, you know, I think there's, there's just so much, to unpack and uncover, you know, and what I do in this profession is going to going to play such a critical role in business in the, in the next 10, 15 years. Um, so that's kind of just my my background. It's always kind of been quantitative. I've I've been in social listening my whole career, either at W2O, uh, later moving on to Pfizer, um, and and then left Pfizer to to go to GSK as part of our joint venture. And then after a few years there, we separated to Halion, and that's where I that's where I am now. Uh, so this entire time, I've you know kind of been you know, in the weeds, you know, I've gotten to know the platforms really well. I've pioneered a few different methods for, for the profession and um, it really just like fascinating space. But that's that's kind of my background and uh, how I got in. That's really by accident. And if you talk to anyone else in social intelligence, they'll probably have a similar story. <laughs> nice. Well, I mean, what a, what a fascinating journey that you've, you've been on for sure. Um, and it always interests me how many people 
I speak to on this podcast that kind of say I, you know, I accidentally found data as a as a career. <laughs> um, it's, it's it's interesting. Um, so obviously, Halion spin off of of GSK, right? So we don't need to get too much in into that. But I guess in terms of your role and responsibility now you know what's your purpose for being there what are you tasked with doing for for Halion? yeah i think it, it's you know i don't think i step back to kind of the first year i've kind of looked at the my role in stages and that's very much how i map our capability and you know when i started my, my role was brand new no one's ever held it before and no one had held it at our legacy companies no one held it at novartis no one held it at gsk no one held it at pfizer which is pretty unbelievable i remember coming into a big company uh, you know, setting and thinking like, oh, there should be like 20 people that, that kind of do this because the company's so big and there's so much on social media, right? All, all this was so intuitive, um, but there wasn't. It was, just, it was just me. I think that's what was so intimidating early on was that it was liberating in a sense that, you know, I come from an agency where I was on a team of 100 people that could all do the same thing. And then I was able to, you know, I was more quantitative than most, but I also didn't have as much experience writing insights. Right? And that was kind of, you know, my last year at W2O, that's kind of the role I was in, more of a hybrid role. I was doing more of the storytelling, the insights, strategy piece. Is in my first year, it's really just more of a number crunching role. And both of those played such an important role in why you know we were so successful in, in, in our first year of building this team. Is that now I had right all the control. Right now I was in charge. Right, I could sell the direction. Um, but at the same time, I didn't have anyone else to go to. And so it was it was liberating, but it was also you know like the the, the cards are stacked high, the deck stacked high against you. And, uh, you know, that's that's what I think I saw early on. It's like this is a massive opportunity to, to drive real breakthrough in the way that companies use and that our company uses social media. And, you know, I remember in the first you know kind of six months, you know, we, we were building the capability. We had to kind of drive the bus as we were building it. And, you know, a lot of the kind of early evangelism that we did was really just getting people excited about the possibilities of what we could answer and really trying to piece together what those kind of core use cases were. Right. What was our purpose? Right. And like our, our purpose, if you think about it plainly, right, the, the word social intelligence, which was a word I wasn't familiar with until I got, I got the Pfizer. And I was like, oh, that's it's a, it's a cool it's a cool word. It's a fancy title. And, you know, I started to think fundamentally, like, what does this mean? Well, it's really just a combination of the word social media and business intelligence two very, very you know, well established and understood disciplines. And you, you put them together. And it's the analytics and the summarization of information for social media. And that's what I, I kind of took to heart. I remember thinking, I was like, that's my job, right? It's my job to, to turn all of this data on social media, most of which is noise. Right? 80% of the data that we look at and that anyone typically looks at is noise. Smaller percent, you can turn into information. Some of that information you can't use. Right? Some of it is good to know. This is the kind of way I, I break it down into a kind of dichotomy, is that there's information that's good to know and there's information that's actionable. Uh, and, and I think both serve a really important purpose. And, and that's a personal belief. You know, I'm sure there's other folks that will debate me on that. Um, but that's what we communicated early on is that like we understood like, hey, this is what's being said. And like there's there's so many things that we've unpacked. And, you know, I think the biggest use case we have is, is consumer insights. Right. It, it, and that makes sense because that's the nature of the team that I'm on. I'm on an insights and analytics team. Right? And so it's everything from, you know, online behaviors right and how, you know, if you look at users at nodes, right, how one interacts with another, right, the relationship they carry, right, audiences, right, we live in the creator economy, where content being consumed isn't always coming from brands, it's coming from people, everyday people that, you know, are like them or maybe similar to them. Uh, likes and dislikes, right, some people prefer our competitors' brands over us, some people prefer different flavors, 
right? So and it's amazing, you know, that and that's just kind of the known, right? That's the top-down stuff. But all the things that we've serviced organically, there's been so many aha moments or, oh, that's interesting, right? Or I didn't expect to see that. You know, and so in the early kind of first year, that was, I think, a huge part of our success is just socializing what, what we were seeing and getting people excited about, you know, having this capability that we didn't currently have, right? And for years, social media kind of flew by and it was untapped data, and now it's not. But, you know, a big part of that story was, you know, selecting, you know, technology partner, right, building the internal tech stack, systems, right, process for, for, for kind of report delivery, um, you know, any kind of larger solution architecture, you know, and so like there, there's so many things that kind of got packed into that first year. But I think that the biggest win was the evangelism. And I think about going back to your question, like what, what my job is, it's it's an evangelist, I think, in many ways, is that like I recognize, you know, social media for what it is. And I piece together so many, um, you know, so many pieces of the puzzle for us. Now it's my job to connect it and apply it to other parts of the business and figure out where else we can use it. So that's my job. It's really to turn social media data into into usable and consumable information. Nice. Yeah. Perfect. Makes makes sense. And I guess you know the reason I I kind of asked the question is because probably like you when you first joined Pfizer, there'll be a lot of listeners out there thinking, well, you kind of I kind of know what it is, but you know <laughs> need to put some meat on the bone, so to speak. Yeah. So, um, I guess a couple of questions off the back of this then, sure. and I know that you've always worked well, primarily in the kind of healthcare pharmaceutical space, right? But broadly speaking, are most organizations across different sectors using social intelligence in the same way? Or does it really vary sector by sector? Yeah, I think it's a great question. You know, I think I've I've had the pleasure of meeting a lot of different professionals who, who do what I do and hold similar roles, either as freelancers, as agencies, as, as other in-house teams. Uh, you know, at other large enterprises or small brands and D2Cs, it's amazing how much you learn. But I think that the easiest way to break it up is by B2C companies and B2B companies. And both use this type of data. You know, and I think in in, in so many ways, you look at, uh, you know, a, a B2B company, I use LinkedIn as an example. Right? And like they have a social listening team. And they're a social media app, right? And they've evolved and they get consumer feedback that way. Right. So like their users, you know, they typically sell services, right, or advertising, right, to, to brands who want to who want to advertise on it. But at the same time, they have users, right? Like people provide feedback on the platform and, and processes and you know, features. That's a that's a you know textbook social listening case for them. Same thing for us, except we're not looking at you know the, the same features that they are, because our service is in a, a social media app. Right, it's tangible. You can go to CVS and Walgreens or Amazon.com and you can buy our product. You can feel it. Right. And so like that's where I like I've I've kind of seen I've I've gotten so much information or inspiration rather from companies kind of outside our sector. LinkedIn's a great example of, of kind of B2B. But there's also, I think, you know, when you look at uh, look at retail, like HM or Sahara or uh, you know, Gap, you know, it's more of a traditional retail business, right? They're they're more brick and mortar, right? They own that, you know, their sales are direct, ours are indirect because we're selling through, you know, kind of big box big box stores and retailers. But you know, that I think is fundamentally different too, right? They're more interested in how do we refine the in-store experience or connected experience or augmented, you know, kind of experience. Um, you know, and so like that's where I think you gather a lot of insight too, because a lot of their marketing activations today are in store. Or it's again, you know, experiential marketing, right? And so there's there's a lot of different things I see from kind of the marketing side of my role 
that tells me, oh, you know, a retailer would fundamentally use social intelligence differently than we would. But at the same time, they're, they're doing the same thing, right? They have customers and an audience online that's active and across every social media app that's accessible the same way we do, right? So we look at our brands on a brand basis, a category basis, a channel basis. And I think, you know, you take any one of those companies I mentioned before, they're doing the same thing, even though they're in a different sector than we are, right? And I think the other the other kind of category I look to a lot is the beauty category, where they're, all, you know, typically, uh, you know, fast movers, highly entwined in culture, um, you know, huge on user-generated content, and they're big portfolios, right? Anything from Estee Lauder and, and L'Oreal, right? They're these big brands and big kind of portfolios, just like us, just in a different category, and one that moves a little bit faster, and that's, you know, a little bit more uh, discretionary, if you will, right? And so there's there's difference in elasticities between the products, where, you know, when you when you have a headache, Right, you you want to resolve your headache pretty quick, right? Or if you have allergies, right? And so there's there's kind of a difference just fundamentally in our businesses. But it's amazing that every company I've seen it over the last few years being in my role is all these other companies starting to hire roles like mine because they're starting to realize the value. And you know, a select few I have the fortune of getting to go talk to and you know interface with. And you know, some of that hopefully has been inspired by by myself and so many others that are just evangelists for what this profession is and can do. Um, mm. and, and that's where I think you know that's we've been a kind of a shining example of where we've used it across so many different use cases. Because as a healthcare company, we're so complex, right? There's all these kind of different challenges we work through. But at the end of the day, go back to your question, Kyle. Right? We're all using it in a similar way, right? So we'll cover insights. Right? I'm going to keep drawing you, you know, pulling us back to. To insights, but that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to learn and get the data and ins- insight faster than ever before. And social media is inherently fast, you know. And so I think if you have the skill and technology to do it, there's there's so much potential you can tap into, and we've seen that. And I've seen all these other companies I'm referencing do it too. Uh, so it's amazing. I think that just the uh, you know what companies are now realizing and investing more in the space because it's exciting, right? I mean, like social is as we were saying before. Right? It's 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 well known. Right? It's embedded in society. People can relate to it, or at least have a basic degree of what it is. Um, so so that's been, I think, the massive opportunity for all brands, B two B or B two C, to get involved in social intelligence. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I uh, I completely agree because I think um, one of the reasons I was really keen to to kind of bring you onto the show and talk about this, Danny, is is for that very reason. Right, we're m- moving uh, a pace you know, into the social realm that continues just to go as fast as as ever, right? And the whole digitization piece around how people use social media um, and obviously the advantages that businesses have, especially with changes in consumer behavior as that social media train keeps traveling further and faster, right? So um, I guess in terms of and I don't know, you know, not we don't need your, your secret sauce or anything like that, but in terms of the, the kind of typical use case, um, that that you've done is there a kind of a proudest thing out there that you can give the audience a flavor of kind of the the journey and then the end result yeah there's a couple of different things i guess i'll share one is more insight related and one is more capability building which i think is that's been one of the big questions i get from a lot of other big companies that that ask about what we do and a lot of it boils down to the systems and the tech process right and how we democratize this information that's been, I think, one of my biggest wins is, and it kind of ties to evangelism, is that I've been able to upskill so many other people in what social listening is, right? And the caveats and the pitfalls and the opportunities and the viral moments, 
and the you know the the growth hacks that creators use to kind of build up community and engagement and so i've i've unpacked i've learned so much about how to do this and that i've i've taught that to so many other people marketers and non-marketers in our company and beyond that you know and i have a i have a wonderful linkedin presence and following that you know just constitutes our community you know i think it's been amazing i've learned so much from from them too um you know and i think so when it comes to like one of my proudest moments part of it is actually maybe that's three uh to, to kind of <laughs> pile on there is building community which is you know i think you know evergreen right that'll kind of carry with me throughout the rest of my career there's the the experience of building out a team from scratch at building a process and leaving a legacy in your company right, which is very much what i've done in the last year which i'll which i'll come back to um and then you know i think when i, when I think of like insights you know i think one of the and i was just talking about this the other day with our digestive health team is you know where we've taken insight and we've, we've actioned it right and it's been and it's been clear how, how we've actioned it and so i'll give you that example first when we look at all of our brands, there's you, know, you break it up into categories, right? There's digestive health, oral health, respiratory, uh, pain relief, and you know digestive health is such an interesting space, right? It's taboo, it's typically complicated, right? And so we own the brand Preparation H, which is a suppository, and, uh, and it's for hemorrhoids, right? It's a very very taboo thing, right? Because it's all about butt care, right? And like that's that's where we put our marketing, is trying to break down the taboo um, and the discomfort of butt care. But one of the very first projects I worked on, and at the time I was still benchmarking a lot of our data. So I'm like, I had no idea how many mentions or the, the context of like where Preparation H fell in the category online. So I was running all these numbers. And when I did that, I remember discovering, I was like, what wow, Preparation H is, is, is actually a really big brand for us online. This is all relatively speaking, right? Big for us is different than big for McDonald's or Starbucks. But I remember seeing that. I was like, it was right kind of in the middle of the pack. And it's a smaller brand for us. But... I remember saying, like, there's there's so much richness to this. And this is kind of where I introduce my whole uh, school of thought on big data versus small data. Right. And so there was kind of these larger trends. In this case, it was around politics, where people use preparation H as an insult. Right. Um, and, and you can use your imagination there as to what people say. <laughs> um, but like, that's actually a big piece of their data set. We actually, we, we just completely exclude because there's no value that we get out of listening to Right, we know what's there, but we can't action it. There's no insight that comes from those kind of behaviors and these kind of rude remarks people make. <clears throat> but even when we called it down, there, there, we found that by digging deeper into smaller data territory, if you will, that you know people would share their experiences that were happening in store or offline. And I remember thinking, I was like, that's so fascinating that people feel comfortable enough to talk about their experience buying Preparation H in store or using it at home. And sure, sure enough, you extrapolate that data, and there's there's quite a number of people that do it. And over time, we've seen that as a as a constant, right? Or, or actually, it's starting to we're starting to see it increase a little. And I think that's because people are becoming more comfortable with what butt care is. But all along, I think consumers were so comfortable with it. And so early on, my recommendation was to, hey, like we don't have a Twitter following, right? We have no presence on the platform. But that's where the majority of our, our kind of, you know, opportunities are to engage with customers and fans that, that love the brand and talk about us. And so that was my recommendation. It's like, well, we, we can't build a community if we're not there. So why don't we take that stuff and just and just start it? And that's been so grassroots. But, you know, in, in the year after I, I made that recommendation, we started on Twitter. And, you know, sure enough, we leaned into some other insights that I had around community and 
kind of the, the humor of the space, and more recently around the LGBTQ plus community, which we know use our product, right? Because it's you know they they, they use it privately, and um, you know, and so that's that's kind of just another example of where we've turned that into copy and creative. And you know we've been able to kind of grow our following. I think we're well north of a thousand followers on Twitter, but that started from nothing. It started from an idea and an opportunity, and that was directly from my team, and from the insights we found in social listening. And that's just one of so many examples. But I think one of my proudest, because Preparation H would have otherwise, you know, kind of been overlooked, and you know people would just say, oh well, who's going to talk about this online? But it's branched out into so many more creative, creative ideas and opportunities for us to build the brand and awareness and community. All these things we know drive people to buy our product. And and now we're on TikTok with the brand, you know, and so that's unlocked so much more for us too, but it's all social led, it's all insights led. Um, so that's the piece really on, on insight, I think what's been one of my proudest achievements, it's just moments like that, that have staying power, right? And that have kind of permeated, not just across prep age, but that strategy bled into GasX and Tums, you know, and, and Benefiber. And so these are, these are also, also great brands we have in this portfolio. And that's where I think we see the consistency and that there's so much, there's so many synergies between our brands in category and kind of cross category. And so that's the opportunity I've seen. That's what I've been able to piece together with data. Uh, and then you know, just to kind of close out the, the question with the tech part, we, we brought on a, a, a listening tool called Synthesio, which you know, I think is probably the most sophisticated tool for social listening today. And you know, I, I find that these tools kind of leapfrog each other every couple of years. Um, but right now it's Synthesio, and we're so proud to partner with them. And what we're able to do is basically build out an always-on environment, which you know, maybe we get into a little later, but it's basically always on dashboards. None of it's out of the box. It's all designed bespoke by me. And it addresses fundamental needs of having always-on access to data. And we can set the user permissions. So I can have 300 people that are non-power users like myself that have access to the tool. Right, and I've been able to simplify with my experience so that hey, people can understand how to interpret line graphs and bar graphs, right? And uh, you know, a media wall that we have that pulls through image endpoints, and so like there's a lot of things we just historically struggled to do with this technology. It was a huge unlock as a power tool for me, but also as a great way to give anyone in the company access. And this is the kind of the democratization piece that I'm so proud of, and that will be part of my legacy here. Is that I mean the, the the tool can pretty much service itself, right? And like everyone to some degree can do social listening, and like that's the power that I've been able to kind of bring through my skill is now helping other people realize how valuable this is, and to bring their own kind of creative ideas and eyeballs to the conversation, uh, because I'm just one person managing 30 brands across seven categories. That's a lot. There's there's very few people in the world who have that remit, and you know I think that's what's been so challenging too is that like. You look at one brand, it has its own story online, right? You look at Advil, it's got another story, right? And so every brand is like that. Their competitor, our competitors in category two have their own stories. It's well over, you know, 100, 200 brands. And so there's there's just so much complexity to, I think, the, the work that we do. But my accomplishments, I think, and proudest, you know, feats here have been, you know, the staying power of insights, uh, of social media insights that we've had directly on our business, the process and systems we've installed to democratize this across the business and to scale up to an enterprise level. Uh, and then building community, right? It's using everything we've learned and sharing it with the rest of the industry. And, you know, that's, I think, if, if I could kind of boil it down to those three bits, is what I'm most proud of.
Yes, I mean, there's so much to to um, unpack out there. I mean, the, the building of the capability to be able to, to do that and democratise that, obviously a hugely important part, I, I guess, in relation to the wider data and analytics um, industry, Danny. I guess mm-hmm. there's there's no there's not much difference here, right? The purpose of this is for you to understand what your customers or potential customers say, think, feel, right. act towards the brand, the products that you want them to engage with so that you can ultimately provide the business with insights that then can gain more customers, create better relationships, etc. I've got that right, correct? That's correct. You know, yeah, and I think it, it's amazing kind of drawing that, you know, I know, you know Kyle, we, we know each other through, through the Data IQ uh, community. And, you know, I think it's, it's amazing that the parallels I draw to so many other analytics professionals and teams. And I think our challenges and the unlocks that we've had aren't necessarily unique to you know social intelligence they're they're you know relatable to so many other analytics professions whether you're in search whether you're you know in, in traditional kind of information technology or warehousing or you know whatever your kind of domain is i think all our objectives are the same right i mean i think you look at any analytics team you know what's their biggest concern right it's it's data quality it's 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 access right it's scale and it's like a lot of these things i i, I kind of see in my own world but that's kind of the analytics, right? You talk about kind of the, the trifecta, right? The, the few the few professions that kind of comprise what I do. Market research, right? big data, analytics, information technology, and then marketing. And so there's all these different pieces that kind of come in. But that's exactly right, Kyle, right? That, like, that's the North Star in analytics is that, right? Our speed to insight has never been better, right? And scale works for us. I do the, jo- I do the work of, you know, five or six people. And it's amazing, you know, what I'm able to do with this technology today. And that's inherent to technology. Right, is that the best technology is, is scalable. And I think we've seen that firsthand with, with our social listening te- uh, tech stack is that like, hey, there's a way to simplify it and, and make it more accessible to other people, right? Why why would we shy away from this technology? Why wouldn't we invest more, right? Because we're just, I'm just in two markets. I'm, I oversee the US and Canada, but, you know, and, you know, it's a little different go-to-market strategy for other markets, but fundamentally we have the blueprint, you know, and I think that blueprint is applicable to any other analytics profession in any other department anywhere in the world is going back to those kind of, those kind of North stars. Um, so well said Kyle, it's, it's exactly the parallel um, that I think analytics professionals can draw from, from the experience that we've been on. Yeah. So I guess my next question then, and I guess this is possibly something that you speak about within this kind of social intelligence community that, that you keep uh, referring back to is um, I'm just trying to get my head around why aren't more businesses doing this? If you think you think about this logically, right? Like any business wants to know their customer, whether that's B2B, B2C, they want to know what they like, what they don't, what they're saying, what they're thinking, how they're feeling about them as their brand and their products and their services. But yet we don't, there's, there's not many, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's that many businesses doing social intelligence at scale, right? Is this some, I presume this is something that you speak about within your community a lot. Yeah, oh, it's, a, it's a great question. Maybe a loaded question too, uh, which, is my, <laughs> which is my specialty. Um, you know, so so I think it's a few different things. When I look at accessibility, right, and and like what companies can access, there's maybe ten major social listening providers today, and you know I talked to a lot of you know really smart people that like understand SaaS and like understand this market, and that you know it's pretty much only ever going to be you know a handful of big suppliers right now, and that's great for us as, as customers is that, you know, it's never been easier to buy this data, right? We license access to a tool that collects data for us, right? That's the proxy. You have to have the skill to kind of curate it, but that's where I think we see, you know, 
accessibility for us as a big company. But where I think I've heard a lot from our community about, you know, it's hard to get access to some of these tools because they're so expensive. Or, you know, if you have a small business, right? I mean, where's your opportunity to, to listen for your customer? Or in that case, there may not be mentions about your brand, but there's certain, like, say, say you're a small business owner and you own a retail boutique and you want to understand latest fashion trends, right? You may not necessarily have mentions of your brand because you're only in, you know, one town and one market. But fast fashion is discussed, right? And there's online communities, and right, there's a whole expert community that includes myself that that works on techniques and uses analytics to try to uncover that, right? And that provides insight, right, into into trends, right? Or what's the next biggest thing? That's that's kind of that's that's one example I think where a lot of our companies are struggling now is the foresight piece, right? What do we what do we use as a predictive variable, right? Is like what is in our space, you know, what's the next charcoal toothpaste? Right. And so like the, that, that's, I think, really, really difficult for us to do, too. And it requires some degree of, um, you know, historical data, you know, and, and, a pl- and machine learning. And, you know, there, there's a few other technologies you can fold in there that I think would be able to unlock that. But I don't think anyone's cracked it today. Um, and like that's, again, part of the problem and challenge, I think, for smaller businesses. And right? we think about access and where other brands just can't do it. It's the, the barrier is cost. You know, and I think like I, I tell so many people that I'm like, you know, when they ask me, they're like, what's your biggest consideration when you're looking at solutions? I'm like, it's cost. It's always cost. You know, and I think like that, you know, people are afraid to kind of say and admit that, but it's true. If you ask a small business owner who's who's trying to run their business, sure, you can pick up Instagram and Facebook and do a lot of your community building and, you know, content calendars and that kind of stuff in organic. That stuff you could do for free. But, you know, the, the real insight is coming from the white space research in that case or for other big companies that haven't necessarily had social listening in-house, they're doing it, you know, through an agency, right? So they're paying for it. They don't necessarily have the internal expertise, you know? And, and so like, that's where I've kind of seen too, is that some companies just aren't doing it because they don't know where to start. Or, you know, they they started a program in 2015 where the industry looked much different. The tech was different and it, and it candidly wasn't as good. There weren't as many people in the profession and our individual skill. And I'm happy to admit that too. I wasn't as good as I as I am, you know, whatever that was five or six years ago, you know. And so, like, we've seen the evolution of what this has been, but historically, those have been big barriers for companies to do this: is that they they lack the skill, they lack the direction, they can't afford it, right? And so, like, that's I think what's crowded out so many other players in the market. But we're starting to see a paradigm shift there in the way that companies are hiring dedicated experts just to commit to building up a capability like this. Um, you know, and again, I think the the big piece missing is for the the smaller brands and the access piece, and this kind of ties to hiring too, right? Over the, over the course of time, I want I'm going to want to hire more people to you know to work for me and do great work and uncover this stuff as I mature in my career, but not if people don't have the skill set, right? Students don't have access to these expensive tools. How can they learn them, right? Mm-hmm. So like that's the, it's it's a huge kind of white space and opportunity for us to help basically future proof the future of what this profession is, and it, it requires access. So whether whether it's it's on a user basis or, or a brand or company basis, that's kind of the you know the big challenge and, and where we're seeing you know so many companies get crowded out and left behind in their social intelligence journeys. And you know we, we've been ahead of the curve for a while, but so have other companies. So like that that's where we kind of see the biggest challenges to to adoption and, and picking it up. But I'm optimistic over the next ten years, those numbers will grow exponentially as people begin to realize and you know that you have to be in the game. Or you're going to get left behind, and it's going to be too late to be left behind. You know, those companies will 
we'll lose share. I don't know if they'll necessarily go out of business. There's just plenty of things that you can do to save a business that don't require investing in social intelligence. You know, I think social intelligence is important, but I don't think it's that important. You know, where it's like the lifeblood of a, of a company. You know, obviously, it's, <laughs> I, I like to think so, but it's not. But, you know, that's back to your question, Kyle. That's, you know, kind of where we see the biggest barriers to, to entry and adoption. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because you find that these things are kind of cyclical in terms of the trends themselves, right? You know, you go back even five years in the general data and analytics industry, and it was kind of like every every business knows that they probably should be doing something or more with data and analytics, right, in terms of trying to commercialize it because it gives the competitive advantage if you do it well, but there's a whole host of barriers. And then the next thing comes along, uh, you know, AI as an example, right? Everyone knows probably they should be doing something there or doing something more, but, you know, back to data quality or data management issues is you've okay. not got the right right type of data to do a successful AI project and, and so on and so forth. So it kind of feels, and from what you're saying, very similar, and that's probably just a maturity thing, I imagine, which makes, uh, makes sense. One thing you touched upon earlier, which I'm keen to kind of touch on, is the strategy piece, because it's, it's one thing to have the time, skill, ability, finances, resources to do it. It's a different thing to put a strategy together and then execute, right? Yeah. So just talk us through kind of your thought process around, you know, when you landed in the role, what that strategy, you know, the, I guess the, the vision, what it was, what you were hoping to get out of it, and, and guess where you, where you are on that journey. Yeah, fantastic question. And, you know, I think that's it's been one of my favorites to answer and, and try to ask myself every year. And, you know, I think it comes comes through in like some of the roadmaps that we build and like game plans and playbooks, you know, insert whatever buzzword you want there. Um, but, you know, I think early on, my end game was always to build out what we have today, which is an always on solution, right? Where at any given time, I or anyone else in the company can see the health or, you know, any various KPIs we happen to look at, which is, you know, a handful of core golden KPIs, um, but also, you know, understand basic trends and movements over time, right? Trending keywords, right? And keywords are, you know, in many ways, I think people could argue as a near, near a vanity metric, but it's a great discovery tool, right? Where I see some keyword that pops, right? That's, it's one dimensional. I don't know all the context. I just know it's a popping keyword. Right? you click into it, you learn, you know, what, what kind of site it's coming from, what kind of user, right? You look at another kind of KPI, you understand, right? Just, you know, is this a, is this a viral moment? Is, or is this coming from one user? Or is it, you know, a viral moment coming from, you know, 100 users? And so there's ways to kind of break down and interpret data. But all along, I think my my goal was to make sure that there was a there was a system or program that people could go into and, and service this stuff. Even if it was a really basic questions. One of the examples I love to use is with, uh, you know, our emergency team. And so we have a lot of different flavors of emergency. It's, a, you know, immunity supplement. And, you know, my, my favorite is, uh, you know, is the, is the super orange, but, you know, I use that as an example of like, what's a great way to self-service this, um, this brand with this tool is that, oh, well, how many emergency mentions for emergency raspberry did we get last week? Right. It takes a couple clicks and you have that answer, right? Maybe there's an activation, right? Maybe we, you know, activated some, some new paid media, Right. Whatever the tactic is, there's a reason our, our marketing organization would come to me and ask that. But now it can be self-service. It's so all these kind of little moments uh, right? you're able to kind of um, avoid because now it's it's democratized. Right? And so like that frees up so much of my time. I think that, that made a really big deal early on. 
So that was, I think, the ambition, right? It, it took a long time to get there, right? as I was alluding to before, right? Whether it's writing the queries or building the Python, you know, code base or uh, building the PowerPoint decks, right, that we used to distribute, you know, for for everyone. Whether it's creating every every report, this has been kind of the crazy part of my role. And I tell my boss this all the time: is that like every time we get a new report or like a new macro trend tracker or something like that, I have to redesign like the whole template. Right of like like what's what's useful, what's not. Right, you know, we're sometimes we'll combine metrics. We're looking at a you know percentage of share, right? So it's a, it's two new figures that we've never put together before. Um, you know, whether it's the intersection of say like Benadryl and Flonase, right, or the intersection of of Benadryl and you know headache, right, which are two separate things we track, but maybe we haven't looked at them together. Um, we have, but you know, in, in this case, you know, if you're if you're if you're going through this exercise, right. You're introducing new trackers and new ways to deliver information, and, and and macro trends is a great way that we kind of flex our muscle. Is that uh, you know we do some work in inflation, right? And and inflation is being felt all around the world, right? What do those sentiments exist, or, or what sentiments exist online, and how do people feel? Well, people are angry, right? That that that's pretty consensus. It's straightforward, but you look at a trend line, right? There's millions of mentions. There's a lot to unpack there, you know. And there's just different ways people talk about price. Right. And, and how goods are expensive or how they're getting a better deal, you know, at grocery store A versus grocery store B. And so there, there's so much to unpack. And a lot of it has nothing to do with our business. That was one of the big learnings we had was that, you know, we thought that by taking price, consumers would notice and some have. But it, it didn't become a viral thing. We haven't seen any growth. So pricing as a topic for our brands across our whole portfolio and in the larger consumer healthcare business that we compete with uh, that we compete in. Across the category, the pricing is just not a big thing, you know. And so it, it was it was one of those things I remember, like we set up and it was like, um, you know, this could be a big thing. It's a great proactive measure. We did the same thing with COVID. We were ahead of the curve on COVID by by a good month, right, where we saw kind of early on, like, this is a big thing. It's, you know, whatever that was in January of, of 2019 uh, or 2020, you know, when it started kind of, you know, coming into the U.S. And you know, so we saw all that through the news and through social. We saw the trajectory. So we were trying to do the same thing with inflation. But in this case, and it was a good thing, right? It didn't become a big thing, right? I mean, the share of pricing mentions across our portfolio is less than 0.1%, uh, 0.01%. Like that, that's so small. And that tells us people aren't talking about pricing when they talk about our brands. They're talking about other things, general usage, right? One-off mentions, or how much they love the product, or they're recommending it to someone else, right? Or any of the other examples we've used. Um, you know, so so that's where. Um, you know, I, I think you know, going back to the solution, we've been able to democratize that that degree of you know simple answer and free up time, and that's you know go back to our goal, right? How do we how do we spend more time on more efficient or higher order tasks, right? The really challenging stuff. Going back to strategy, right? So that's where I look at, right? Where's our where to play, right? Where do we want to build a community, right? How do we influence our creative development, right? Or how we do our community management, or Innovation, right? We want to bring new products to market, right? If I have to manage all the benchmarks and day-to-day and troubleshooting, then there's no one to work on, you know, the the kind of white space research that, you know, some of the stuff that we're doing is around the teeth whitening, right? And so, like, that's that's an interesting space because it touches the the kind of the beauty space versus just being in, in oral health and oral care. And so that's that's a new opportunity, but you have to have skill to go out and kind of dissect that data. Uh, and so that was part of the end game too, was that we would build out the breadth of access and, and, and kind of use cases we could work on, right? So it's more than just listening to our brands. We listen really well to our competitors' brands, 
they listen really well to the category. When people talk about migraines, not every mention is about migraine with Excedrin, right? So like in a perfect world, we want everyone to talk about Excedrin, but you know, it's also an impossible feat, but you know, it's where we kind of look to, to move the needle. It's larger database, right? The experience of migraine, not necessarily the experience with our brand, right? That's where the branded conversations from or competitors conversations from, but you know how they how people experience the you know the condition altogether, or maybe kind of co-conditions, or there's comorbidities, or there's so many other things you can unpack there. Um, so that's where we're kind of using this strategically. And then the last piece is really on a source level, right? Is like I could I could you know talk all day about you know you break up the big sources we look at, right? Twitter, I can explain to you, right? Why Twitter is is one of the best sources we look at, right? It's a microblog, high velocity, right? You know, and so that's fundamentally different than Instagram, right? There's lower you know, velocity and throughput on Instagram. It's just not that platform anymore. People don't post 10 times a day and they don't post in threads. The, the, the social media app is not designed that way. TikTok is different, right? Short form video, right? And that's where you introduce kind of, I think what's really exciting down the road is visual analytics and intelligence, right? And uh, you know, image recognition, right? Machine learning, all these kind of things are kind of piled in that build up intelligence, right? Around, around what people are doing and saying, but it's an entirely different format. Right? It's, it's short form video. That data is not accessible to us right now, right? Yeah. Unlike the way text is with Facebook and, and obviously to some degree Instagram, which is more image focused. But we've seen that you know there's longer form text being written in, in, in the descriptions and posts and comments. You know, so like there's all this unstructured text. That's what social intelligence does, right? We're tackling one of the hardest data types to tackle. Right? When you have integers and strings, I mean, but this is really complex. Right, you talk about language models and right? how we piece together consumer lexicon, right? And the way people, you know, the tone of voice, right? And sarcasm and use of emojis, but really, really difficult to analyze. You know, it's not it's not one to one. You can't crunch it the way you do. <laughs> Go back to my economics days, right? Where where a model or math problem is pretty straightforward, right? And there's proofs, right? And then there's a, there's a right answer. In social intelligence, sometimes you don't know if it's the right answer, right? And so like that's the art and science, I think. And like our our strategy has always been rooted in that. Right. We, we want to rely on science where we can, but also recognize that this field is still so young that there's art to it, too, and that we can still make, you know, actionable recommendations and, and come up with insights despite it. Uh, so yeah. that's a bit about my strategy. I could go on about strategy, but uh, that's kind of my general kind of school of thought. And, and I talked a little bit about like scale and the importance of details. And, and you mentioned data integrity. That's probably one of the most important things we focus on. Because without that, the analytics are no good, the business intelligence is no good, our decisions are wrong, we're recalling data, uh, you know, we're backtracking. So that's yeah. where I've seen it, it's kind of a, it sounds so basic and it's not flashy, but that's why we're able to do all the flashy things because there's so much trust in the data, right? And on top of that, right, what I was telling you before, we've built literacy around this. Right? Is that like people understand when they look at data, it's not a black box, they're not confused anymore. When we first started, we were a little, because I had to explain it, right? I had to figure that out, right? Well, what are our KPIs, right? That's going to look different than another company, or maybe it's not, right? Maybe someone's using the same similar methodology that I am. Um, so that strategy, uh, you know, again, I think you can unpack that a few different ways, but that's what's so fun about this space is that a, a big part of it is the art, right? How do you want to use it, right? If I was working at, you know, Carnival Cruise Line, right, or Land O'Lakes, that it would, it would be a different strategy. And I think that's what's so fun. You kind of pick and choose and, um, you know, there's different elements I think you can learn from other companies that do this too. 
that's what gets mm. me excited. You, you, you could probably tell. I think I can go on. <laughs> Honestly, Danny, there's, I've got like a gazillion questions in my mind. I'm, we'll have to carry this I on online. It'll be it'll be the longest podcast episode in the world if, if we don't try and, try and wrap up uh, within the next kind of five ten minutes. So, but I've got a, a couple of kind of final questions for you then. So, yeah. obviously, we talk a lot in the broader data and analytics industry about the component of value and return on investment and why organizations are doing this and tying it you know tying it back to the goals and the objectives and the strategy of the business how does that all flow through with social intelligence because it kind of feels like and again correct me if i'm wrong but it kind of feels like this is a little bit more experimental i guess you know there's things that you can find that you can provide back to the business that they can take action on but it seems like something that's probably a little bit more difficult to kind of pin to a we want to grow our top line by 10% this year. It's probably not that straightforward, right? Yeah, it's an excellent question. Um, it's been one of the things I've personally struggled with right, is how do we tie this to, to some measurable outcome, right? Or to, to sales or to, or to the bottom line. And I think this has been a big debate, you know, and I think thankfully, I mean, it, I don't have to have it all figured out and I haven't admittedly, Right, is that when we see a spike in social media, and in many cases, there, there isn't a one-to-one relationship, right? Just because there's a spike, there could be a spike in sales and we didn't do anything on social, or there's a dip in social, right? And so like, that's that's where we see some inconsistencies. That's also where I think admittedly, I lack the skill to, to to really kind of refine and test that. And, you know, it goes back to that Calc 3 I couldn't pass. I bet that's what it was. Um, but more seriously, you know, I, I think ROI is one of the biggest questions we get is, right? Well, how valuable are you? And I thought this was so timely. I was I was at an event yesterday. I was listening to the, the chief marketing officer at Bayer uh, and, and their consumer business, who who we compete directly against. And he was talking about they in they brought the entire like kind of you know media operation in house. I forget how large the team was, but he was talking about ROI, right? And that kind of how you prove this. And I immediately the first thing I did was draw a line to what I did because my my role was brought in house. Whereas traditionally, you know, we paid agencies to deliver, you know, reports every once in a while or on a cadence. And so I thought about that. I was like, well, I know exactly how I calculate high ROI. And he said the same thing was that, you know, it's it's cheaper. Right. And so like we're, we're saving money doing this. And I thought about it the same way. So my, you know, I can't, I, my team has relatively low fixed costs, very low. This goes back to what we were talking about before. It's like the data is easier to license, it's easier to access today. And it's cheaper, still expensive, relatively speaking. It depends on who you're talking to. But for us, as a large enterprise, I mean, we, we don't spend all that much on it. We're left to other, you know, kind of kind of big technologies and, and other things that we we spend on to run the business. And so with low fixed costs, now the kind of ball is in my court, right? If I can produce really high output and a lot of value, right? I mean, like that 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 proves how valuable this is. It'd be different if I was given, you know, a larger budget or I managed a kind of AOR relationship. Um, where there's more variable costs involved and it can get more expensive, less expensive, um, but it's not, right? I pretty much just manage the cost of the tools. And then it's all kind of boiled down to my output, right? How do, how do we break even, right? If I did, if I sat, on, you know, sat around and did no work the whole year, yeah, we had never get a ROI, right? We spent however much for our tools and they didn't do any work. Uh, but it's been quite the opposite. You know, I think I, I, I do all the internal work, right? And I do the listening, I do the report writing, right? And I get the insights in many cases faster than anyone else. And so that's, it's just, it's cheaper. You know, and so our ROI has been, you know, 250, 300, 350%, I think on our best year. I'm like, I, I, I doubt anyone else in the company has those kind of figures because our costs are so low right, and our output's so high. There's plenty of other people that produce output, obviously, but that's where we see real value is that it's just, it's cheaper to do, right? The skill set exists for us to do it internally, 
versus paying five or six times the price to go with an agency. Not that agencies are incapable of doing it, but it's just cheaper. And I completely related to uh, to to to, uh, to to Jeff, who's the you know CMO bear. And he was talking about that. I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. And he sees it at a higher level across a larger team with more disciplines uh, that report into him. But I see it, you know, it's like a microcosm of what he was talking about in social intelligence. And and that was that was such an amazing kind of parallel I drew. But that all goes back to ROI, right? And so that's that's kind of the case I made. Well, imagine if we had two people, right? We could have twice the output, and the cost doesn't change because that's what we negotiated. And so that's that's kind of been my rallying cry for for ROI, kind of in a separate lane than tying it to sales or outcome. Um, and this is also something I've been see, I've been seeing and learning from social media professionals and and other CMOS is that there's there's a greater focus today on top funnel and bottom funnel, right? Not, and not every piece of content that you put out has to be a grand slam. Not every piece of content has to you go viral, right? Or drive, you know, a 300% increase in sales because of virality, right? A lot of it is based on community building, right? That's the creator economy we live in. People want to engage and be entertained, right? They don't want an ad. And traditionally, when they, when they see a brand, they think, oh, here's an ad coming. And now the companies that are really breaking through that mold, right? Social media is just so fast paced and there's so much so much out there. I mean, how do we break through as a brand? Well, a lot of that has to kind of come through through again the, the work that we do in social insights. Um, but also understanding like, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna achieve this ridiculous ROI, you know, on the first day that you know we action an insight or we or we post something organically. Um, so so many different kind of pieces I think I I I kind of you know connect when I get asked the ROI question. Because not everything has to lead to the ROI. And you hear some other, you know, thought leaders talk about how metaverse is a great example. Right? A lot of companies that have thrown money at the metaverse, they're not getting positive ROI. Right? They're the first movers, right? And they're learning for us. Right. And so like that's I think some companies have a you know a certain degree of comfort with taking those risks than others. You know, and so like that's very clear to me too. And and that's where I think like ROI doesn't necessarily have to be positive or even measurable. Maybe that's a controversial take because we're always trying to tie something to ROI, but I think it's social intelligence because it's it's still so new and valuable without proving ROI um, or you know sales ROI. You know it, it's it's still worth uncovering for all the stuff that we do and we do it for so cheap and you know so that that's kind of the measure I like to use is, yep. is output versus cost. Yeah. Final question then, and I thought it might be useful for the audience to try and kind of finish with a bit of an example of kind of how you tie this together. And I kind of want to wrap that question in with the kind of relationship that you have because effectively your business is it's b to b to c ultimately right you know you're not selling to the end consumer so you're selling through the big the big box retail cvs's walgreens etc of, of this world so if we were to go back to the migraine kind of example that you had right you know you're following just not necessarily about your product but generally speaking what's being said on social about how people feel whatever about migraines just talk us through kind of what that process would look like then in terms of how you kind of action that internally. That, what, you know, what, what does the insight become? Who does it go to? How does that become something that the business can act on? Yeah, well, I guess I'll, I'll start you at kind of square one and then I'll, I'll take you down the path here. Um, so Accenture, for example, we typically start with the brand, right? We care the most about what the perception of the brand is. And so let's say, you know, we're, we're running our analytics and you know, we run regular reports, maybe a good idea what our average you know, daily volume is. And again, sometimes these mentions fall into that bucket, you know, we were talking about before is like, sometimes it's just good to know information, sometimes it's actionable information. Uh, so in in one case, maybe we see, we actually saw this a couple of years ago when we had some supply issues. Um, 
but we saw like, hey, you know, I can't, I can't find, you know, Excedrin, um, you know, in my, my local CVS, or I tried this place and the other, and I can't find it too. Um, I have to resort to getting generic, or I have to buy something else. Or I, I bought, uh, you know, I, I bought Tylenol because they didn't have, they didn't have Excedrin, even though it, you know, it doesn't work as well. Right? And so there's, there's sentiment and insights that we can unpack from that. Um, but then our next question is, you know, well, if they can't find it, right, can we isolate where that's happening, you know, geographically, right? And so that, this is kind of a, a fuzzy area, too, is that not every social media gives you access to, to geolocations, and a lot of it's self-disclosed, um, you know, and so that's kind of the difficulty, too. But if people self-disclose, and let's say, you know, Austin, Texas, you know, they're seeing this this problem, and maybe they mentioned their neighborhood, or we can piece together where they are, that's easy communication for us to go to our, you know, to our, to our sales team or our brain marketers or whatever channel we, we, we team it right to go to that would connect with, you know, whatever retailer that was, maybe it was CVS, maybe it was Rite Aid, uh, maybe it was Walmart, Sam's Club, um, whatever the issue was, right. That's when we would kind of escalate and, and, and kind of start the chain reaction of communications. Um, but then the next question for me is, okay, well, you know, is this happening to anyone else? Maybe it's a larger distribution problem. Right. And so again, this is all kind of hypothetical, but, you know, then maybe I look to, um, you know, I look to Tylenol. I was one of our competitors in Bayer Aspirin, right? So that's also in the migraine space. We know people use that for, for migraine, right? But now I'm looking at our competitors' data, right? I put on an entirely different hat, right? And so, but using the same tool and technology. So that's kind of the process, right? Is it the same trend there? Yes or no, right? In most cases, it's no, right? It's, it's actually just us. Okay, so I checked that box. I'm like, all right, so Tylenol is good. We're not going to learn anything more from there. Um Advil, we look at competitively, even though we own it, right? With because we know people use Advil for migraine. Um, you know, when we take a look at Advil, we say, oh, you know, maybe there's a couple interesting things that are kind of ties that people are saying, oh, we can't find Excedrin, but you know, I go to Advil and that's my go-to anyway. Or sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, right? So we're seeing all these themes as we're going through this checklist. Um, but then, right, when we get through the competitors, right, this is the sequence, and now it's, you know, the question is, well, what else can we answer from the migraine space? Right. Is this a larger pretend right? maybe this is a larger supply issue? People can't get Excedrin at all. Now they're starting to question, well, maybe an OTC product isn't the right way to go. Maybe I should go to my doctor. There's a lot of prescription competitors that we compete with. Right. Maybe that's the conversation that, that kind of unlocks. Right. Where's that conversation taking place? Well, it's probably in a close forum dedicated to just migraine talk. Right. Not in the open ether of Twitter or Facebook. Right. Closed community. Right. So like that's where I'm at, at a tactical level. I'm looking. Am I doing branded level analysis? Am I doing user level analysis? Am I doing an audience level analysis? Audience could be I mean, you can still do it on Twitter, um, you know, but you have to be able to kind of organize and, and query the data that way, because otherwise you don't know who's a migraine sufferer. Right. So you're listening. You don't know. You know, you wouldn't know who you're actively you know, listening to. But Reddit is a great example because there's the Reddit subreddit are migraines. And so that's where sufferers go to discuss it, right? And so there's a lot of users, they're anonymous, right? So we also understand, okay, they're anonymous, they're going to talk a lot, but we're not going to be able to piece together any more demographic or psychographic information from them because we can't tie them to anything, right? They're using an alias. And so that's kind of the the, the decision criteria I use and kind of the, the process and flow where I would look at one problem or an insight, right? And think about, okay, well, who do I need to kind of act on and, and kind of share that with or provide direction or insight, Right. And we may come back and realize, OK, this is just isolated to one skew, right, because I talked to the brain manager and said, hey, you know, we're dealing with some issues. That's why you're seeing that. Right. But I also do the due diligence and say to him, hey, we look at this three or four or five different other ways using analytics. 
right? Because we're really good at it and we're covering all these bases. So I go back and tell our, you know, our brand team, hey, you know, this is safe. Um, you know, it seems like this is an isolated problem. We're on the same page. End of example. Right. And so like that's, you know, I think uh, kind of look into my thought process and how we kind of problem solve. And that's just for one category, right? I mean, mm-hmm. migraine is is specific and unique. We might see different themes and that's a different experience when you're buying toothpaste or when you're buying uh, central vitamins, you know. And so like that's that's there, there's so many different, I think, you know, business elements that you kind of fold in um, more than just social intelligence. And that's, you know, kind of boiling down to being a good teammate, right? Mm-hmm. And go back to the literacy piece. Right? People know to come to me, right? They trust the data, right? They understand it too and can interpret it and challenge it, right? And, and we can have a discussion around it. We're building great teamwork and kind of culture doing that. Um, but off your example, Kyle, hopefully that's helpful for your audience as to how we would approach a problem like that and the sequence of where we look at branded conversation, competitor conversation, category conversation, user or audience conversation, uh, so many different ways to kind of bucket and analyze this. And that's, um, you know, what, what I hope is helpful for people getting started on journey and thinking about how they can use this data. One of just so many examples. Yeah, hundred percent. And I guess commercially then, you know, in that example, that could be a, well, I don't know, you know, the local CVS in Austin, Texas, uh, has sold up. So there's an opportunity for us to increase their order size next time. Right. Or there's, right. there's been non-delivered to Texas at all because there's a, there's a problem with the logistics. So that's a potential risk that we can mitigate. Right. right. So or, yeah. Or sometimes what we've seen, thankfully not with us, but you know, NyQuil was a part of a viral TikTok trend last year where people were boiling chicken and NyQuil, you know, okay. so like some, so some trends are just born out of, you know, just, just stupidity. And, uh, you know, but that's a, that's a danger, right? And that's a threat to us. And so our corporate, you know, affairs team, you know, they're, they're obviously stakeholder of ours. And so when things happen, right, I also recognize I'm on the digital front lines. I have to protect the, the interests of our company, right? And the yeah. equity of our brands. Right. So there's that threat too, right? Maybe people see, you know, a paid social ad and they're like, oh, well, this isn't representative of like me or like, you know, I, I take offense to this or I just don't like your, I don't like your ad. I don't want to buy your product. I don't want to see you anymore. And it's like, that's important feedback too, right? There's a lot of good things that we see about our brands, but there's also a lot of bad things. And so that that's kind of a you know different realm too in use cases for, you know, for protecting the brand, right? So God forbid that ever happened, what happened to Nike will happen to us. And people are using some kind of, you know, off-label technique like that. That's a huge threat to us, right? Because then people see the changes of the perception about our brand and our company, mm-hmm. right? That, you know, oh, well, your company stands by that and you're letting this happen. And so that's, that's and we wouldn't know that it's happening. And so that's kind of the danger and the threat of misinformation and viral trends, right? I mean, this happens so fast and, and in high, high volumes. Just, it, it's amazing how uh, just better equipped we are today because of everything we discussed, right? The journey, the strategy, the tactics, uh, knowledge, data literacy, data integrity, all of that kind of supports all the use cases we work on, even the stuff we've never worked on, right? So if there's a first-of-its-kind use case like COVID right, that hits us, we're ready to go, right? Mm-hmm. Because we, we've built the fundamentals, uh, we've built that literacy, right? We have trust in our data and our own skill. Um, so that's, you know, to kind of bring it full circle where I've tied together all the different things that we do um, into how we can, uh, you know, unlock real value, true value in, in social intelligence and social media. 
Hundred percent. Well, Danny, look, we could probably speak about this for hours, but uh, we'll unfortunately have to wrap it up at, at some point. And I'm conscious that you've got your uh, most of your day ahead of you still. So, um, look, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, being so open and, and transparent with with everything. And uh, yeah, wish you all the very best, and look forward to speaking to you soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Kyle. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. <laughs>